It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Monday morning to you at uh, 8.01 a.m. Pacific time, 10.01 uh, Austin in Central Texas time. Good morning and welcome to Life the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019 a.m. 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us here uh, as we uh, bring you the program this morning from Palo Alto, California. Jeff Howe will be joining uh, shortly. Our producer, Cameron Parker. Behind the glass, back at the ARN Compound Studios in Austin. How you doing this morning, uh, Cameron? You doing okay? Not too bad. Uh, a little tired, but I imagine I'm not as tired as you are because I got an email from you <laughs> at 2 a.m. Uh, our time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that that's what happens when you have those uh, late night West Coast games. In fact. Uh, <laughs> The, the night uh, was just beginning, really, after that uh, win by the Stanford Cardinal last night, 8-3 to over Texas, to even the Super Regional Series at a game of peace. When the game ended, obviously, uh, Roger Wallace was down on the field and had the post-game interview with David Pierce. We're going to hear that coming up in our Longhorn Notebook uh, here uh, in at the bottom of the hour. So we had, uh, we had that. Uh, when the game was over, then, of course, we had to pack up the equipment and things. And, and I say pack up. They, um, I, I guess – clean up our area and break down the area because we we uh we have two sets of equipment that have lugged out here to california uh one that we use for the broadcast the game broadcast and that stays in the press box and another set of equipment that i'm using to uh you know bring you my portion of the program from here uh in the team hotel in uh, palo alto so it's two completely different sets of equipment so we have to you know get one set of equipment uh, kind of uh, turned off and the area cleaned up and all that kind of stuff so that we have it ready to go when we come back for the final game of the Super Regional Series tonight. So there was that. So then when that was done, Roger and I look at each other and we're just we're starving. I mean, we ate uh, lunch uh, like it had been seven or eight hours. And so it, it we were both pretty hungry and the issue was could we find a place to eat. Well, we found a place to eat, and it was on campus. It was like, what's the name of the? You'll Cam, you'll know this, and and, and uh, Jeff will know it if I don't. Um, that that that's on campus, and and let me introduce to you my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County, and a proud graduate of Florence High School. Uh, you know him best for his outstanding work at Horns twenty four seven. That's Jeff Howe. How are you doing this morning, Jeffrey? Bring hey. your kid to work day again. Uh, you hey! Know, summer, summertime, so. Yeah, the uh, your daycare options are pretty limited, so with my wife working and school out, uh, Charlotte's sitting over so there. Got- sitting over there in front of the TV on her tablet. While- Excellent. So you got Miss Charlotte in tow, and that's good. Yep. So what were you going to ask okay. me? Well, um, the name of 
the and 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 if none of us know it, and I think we should, but if the name, it, but if we don't, somebody will certainly uh, text in the name of the cafe. Um, right when we're walking from the Brazos Garage into the press box at DKR Texas Memorial State. Is it San Jacinto Cafe? You know what I'm talking about. It's the one that's right there beside the uh, San Jacinto you're door. About, yeah, you're talking about Cypress Bend? Cypress Bend. Thank you. Very good. That's it. Okay. Picture that. It was kind of a deal like that on the Stanford campus at, uh, at after 10 o'clock Pacific time last night, after midnight Texas time, Roger Wallace and I sit in a place called Ray's Grill on the Stanford campus here in Palo Alto because that was about all that was open on a Sunday night at that point. And it wasn't bad. It, would, it wasn't bad. It, listen, it, it filled the void, so we needed that. So, so there was that. And then when I got back to the hotel, there's obviously work to be done, uh, reports to be written and things like that, and, and voiced and sent in. So to Cam's point, yeah, it was uh, – uh, it was well after 2 a.m. Uh, Texas time when I got that in. But, hey, you know, you, you go on um, caffeine and adrenaline and food and all that kind of stuff and get it going for one more day, and that's what the Longhorns hope to do is to have one more uh, big day out here and uh, win it and advance to the College World Series in Omaha. We'll see about that. Uh, like I said, we're going to hear from David Pierce also um, – uh, Dylan Campbell and uh, Mitchell Daly. We'll we'll hear from them as well uh, coming up a little bit. But uh, uh, how about your thoughts? Not only uh, on uh, on the day uh, of the game last night, Jeff, but really games one and two of the Super Regional Series so far. Well, uh, in, in my mind, you know, I felt like Texas needed to get needed to get that win on Saturday uh, because I I just. Yeah, this team. If you look at it, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'm missing something off the top of my head. I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting, but you know, they've this offense has struggled when they faced anybody's number one starter this year, and and that's the case because most of the teams you face in conference play, you get into the NCAA tournament, you're facing somebody's ace, you're facing a pretty good pitcher, and the thing, you know, not to get too you know deep into what makes Matthews so so hard to pick up, but you know, with the arm slot. Uh, with the left-handed hitters in the Texas lineup, with the way you know that 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 slider just kind of starts in hard on you and then breaks to the outside, it's it's a really difficult pitch to pick up. He had the breaking ball working for him. Uh, the whole package last night was just really really tough to deal with. So you figured, look, if you get to Saturday, I mean, I'm sorry, if you get to Sunday and you're up 1-0, then you give yourself a chance going into Monday. Where I don't know that either coach has a ton of confidence in their bullpen. Uh, but the fact that you know, I felt like if they got if they lost that game on Saturday, uh, they were going to be in trouble. So you know, the fact that they're getting to Monday, they're giving themselves a chance, uh, and and I think it just shows you, Craig, the fine line this team has. Look, David Pierce has said it too, and, and I don't think anybody would disagree with me. This is not a great Texas team, right? Like we've seen teams that have better talent or whatever. This is a team that has to do the little things right night in, night out, to be able to win ball games, And that goes at the plate, defensively, on the mound. And especially last night with LBJ, if you, if you don't locate pitches, and again, with, you know, the strike zone was kind of all over the place. I thought he got squeezed on a, on a couple of two-strike counts. But that that's going to happen. 
you know, when you don't execute pitches and you issue walks and you, and you let guys on base, at some point that's going to come back to bite you, and it did. So, you, so you, the starting pitching that was so good for you in the regional just wasn't – not that it was terrible, just wasn't quite at the level it needed to be through those first two games to, to help you avoid getting to today. Yeah, uh, I was trying to think about when you said this about the, the ace of staffs, how the long runs have fared against them. The only one – that really comes to mind for me that they did really well against the ace of the staff was uh, Cole Klecker when they, when they beat TCU. That's about the only one. Because now you and I were both in Kansas City, so we missed. Uh, I think, or were we? No, no, no. Maybe just me. When uh, and it might have been just for uh, Big Twelve tournament when they beat Texas Tech on the Friday game. So I wasn't there to see that one, the Friday night game against Tech, but. Uh, Cole Klecker, who's really on a roll now for the Horn Frogs, uh, they did they did pretty well against him. But I'm, uh, but to your point, I, I'm I'm trying to think if there's there's anyone and there isn't really anyone that comes to mind because Oklahoma State never really truly had a number one guy. Right. Juan Watts Brown was their number two guy when he beat Texas on that Saturday. Uh, yeah, Braxton Douthat was. And 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 he uh, wasn't it wasn't overpowering uh, their number one guy. It was the bullpen that really did it for Oklahoma in that Friday game. So that, that that's the you know the ones that come to mind for me there. I don't I, to your point. I don't know that they really uh, it, put it this way. I know they didn't light up any uh, number one starters right. throughout the course of the year. And 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 Quinn Matthews is about as number one as it gets. Um, he was something. Yeah, but that's that's and, par for the course. I mean, look, there's there's a reason why yeah. there's a reason why Gino was the Big Twelve pitcher of the year, and Texas faced some really good offensive lineups this year. And go back and look at how they fared against Lucas Gordon in his Friday starts. So it's yep. it's, it's 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 par for the course. I, I think that's what you know in a three game series like a conference series. I, I think you look at especially the last two years. You know, twenty one was a little bit different because that pitching staff was about as complete a pitching staff as as you'll find. But that's what's made the last two two years Texas so hard to, to put away in a, and, and, and defeat in a three-game series because when you get to Sunday, by the time everybody in a really, really good lineup, a potent lineup where one through nine, any given guy can come th- can, can have a kind of a breakout game, can have a game where they carry the team. By the time you get to Sunday and you've seen probably the top two or three bullpen hands, you've seen two starters, you're facing the number three, they're just going to feast on on number three starters. They did it last year. Yeah. By and large, they did it this year. So that's – I think if you're a Texas fan, I say all that to say this, if you're a Texas fan going into tonight and you're facing a number three starter, on top of the fact that we've seen what Stanford has in the bullpen, that should give you some level of comfort that, yeah, last night offensively everybody was on the struggle bus, probably with the exception of Mitch Daly. Uh, but facing a number three, getting into Stanford's bullpen with this lineup, they, they give you a chance. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I will amend my statement. Uh, we're forgetting about, and you could choose either one because neither performed well against that Blaine Traxel or Ben Hampton against the Longhorns, uh, because they they lit into both of those last weekend of the regular season. Of course, Hampton pitched very little. He had the sore arm, and he was truly their Friday night start. By the way, Ben Hampton in the transfer portal. Uh, that the, he's entered the transfer portal. And, and, yeah, and Blaine Traxel was a guy that. Uh, that uh, had really been hot, even though the number one guy, the Friday night starter, had been Hampton. Well, the Longhorns got after both of them. 
and uh, and Traxel had moved into that Thursday thing, and and uh, the Longhorns got after him, and then they ended up uh, beating them. But but uh, but by and large, to your point, they hadn't they hadn't really uh, you know really laid it on any true number one starters, and and uh, Quinn Matthews was the Pac-12 pitcher of the year, and he he looked every bit the part. Uh, I was talking about it with with uh, Kyle Peterson from ESPN, who was right there in the booth with us, as, as we were saying, right there in the press box. No, but there are no broadcast booths. We're all sharing the same space, the uh, the box, and they're just one row in front of us and down to the left. And we were talking about how his slider was just devastating and the changeup, the slider, the slider to left-handed hitters and the changeup overall. And that was one thing, and we'll hear David Pierce reference it, the changeup was just paralyzing uh, at time. And it took a long yeah. while for the Longhorns to adjust to the change uh, because the guy throws it so well. And that's why he's a major league prospect. And and that's probably why there's some major league baseball organizational people who are a little bit nervous after seeing the guy throw 156 pitches last night. You know, when you face so. a guy like that, though, Craig, I mentioned the arm slot and some of the different things he was doing. You're, when you face a guy that relies on rhythm and – I didn't. I couldn't see the pitch clock. I don't know where the pitch clock is situated in that ballpark, but during the broadcast, you know, Kyle Peterson said time and time again. I mean, there he's he's coming set and you know thrown to the plate with like seventeen, eighteen seconds on the pitch clock. He moved really quickly. And to your to your question, they had one pitch clock, and it was below at the bottom of the scoreboard, but it was so small, it was difficult to read. And I will tell you this too, um, I would say that it was one of the more lenient pitch clock operations I've seen, if not the most lenient pitch clock operation I've seen the entire year. Now, it doesn't really matter because in the case of Matthews, he was pitching so early in it. But they were starting – they didn't start the 22nd clock until well after the guy was on the rubber. So I uh, there was only – I only remember one time for Texas where it got close. I think for LBJ, and and that might have been on the balk call when it was getting close. So, right. uh, but other than that, the 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 pitch clock was never a factor. But I will say that they didn't start it until relatively because I was looking at it several times and it didn't start till late. Now it was not any factor last night at all, none at all. Tonight, who knows if it if it's operated the same way? They had they had some weird things happen uh, with the game op stuff. Uh, Jeff, there was one point where they were playing walkout songs for Stanford, and somebody told them you can't do that. You need to stop. Uh, it's an right, NCAA region. Yeah, of course, nobody told that to the guy running it in Coral Gables. <laughs> they were running it all the way through, and the PA guy having a having a good night. Uh, not that that was bothering the Longhorns any. So, they, but but they just had some things like that happen. Otherwise, it's been you know well run right. in terms of that. And and Matthews was just. Uh, uh, extraordinary last night, which is why we said the pitch clock would not and did not have any effect on anything on either side last night. But I did notice they weren't really starting it till till late. There were times when Travis Staley, and Travis has this way of when he makes a pitch, his routine is to walk to the first base side of the mound and then go up at a 90-degree angle. The reason for that is to give him a little more time when he ascends the hill uh, and gets into position before the pitch clock begins. So that's why he does that. Well, there were times when he walked around and then went up the hill and got on the rubber 
and he's in a set position, and then the clock started. It's supposed to start right when you get there and you get your foot uh, toward the rubber, even as you're starting to put yourself in the position to do it. So it was a little more deliberate, I think, a little slower on the pitch clock. Uh, but it happened on both sides uh, from the game ops people. And, again, it had no effect on the game whatsoever last night. Yeah, the, the point I was making with, with Matthews and his ability to work quick, Texas never did anything to really disrupt the rhythm. Do you know the only no. inning, Craig, last night where Texas got the leadoff man on base? Uh, it was uh, the first inning with the uh, base hit from Jared Thomas. No, that he he grounded out. That was when he had the, dra- oh, that's the right. drag bunt that went up the first base side. Uh, the two run that's inning, right. the two run third, the two run Mitch third. Da- Mitch Daly the, singled the, to right, and then JT yep. followed with the triple. Yeah, I was I had JT in my mind, but that's right. It's when we had the the triple. He singled on the first, uh, or not singled. He he. Uh, it was Peyton Powell who got on base in the first inning. Yeah, uh, with the base hit there, with yeah. that left uh, ball that took a, it, almost like a little C and I single, just kind of hopped and kind of weaved its way, found its way to the outfield. But yeah, they never did anything to really disrupt the rhythm. And you let a guy that you know really thrives on getting into a rhythm and working quick. Uh, we've seen those guys over the years, Craig. When you let those guys get settled in, it it can be a long night. Whether whether they're a, a big time strikeout guy or not, we've seen. You know, shoot, Augie had guys like that over the years. Like Chad Hollingsworth is the one that immediately comes to mind that just you work quick. Even if you're not a big strikeout guy, you're pitching to contact. It's like you look up all of a sudden. It's like, dude, we're in the we're in the sixth, and we haven't busted a grape all night on this guy. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, it and and uh, yeah, that's something else. So it'll it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see how it how it goes tonight and how each uh, team uh, kind of works. It's uh, you know it's bullpen as well as its starting uh, pitching situation. Uh, like we said, uh, we're expecting obviously Tanner Witt to go tonight for Texas, but Tanner is going to be pretty much in the in the same situation that that he's been in since he has come back, and that is uh, you know that he'll go mainly based on the pitch count, uh, and it'll be you know whatever two innings, three innings, whatever whatever it, it, it might be, uh, depending on how he's doing in terms of the pitch count. So uh, that – and then it's just all hands on deck. Whoever else can do it. Whoever else can can uh, show up and, and be effective and give them a couple of innings or something. It'll it'll have to be something like that. To, yeah, because I, I was looking at uh, from the Saturday game, Craig, Charlie Hurley only threw 23 pitches – Worked one in the third. Uh, Boogie worked the eighth, and that was a 15-pitch outing for him. So I would think pretty much everybody, maybe with the exception of Travis Telly, should be in the two starters, should be should be available. Yeah, yeah. Staley for sure. Uh, now, uh, Lucas Gord will be available. Now, uh, now, remember the Sunday night game in Coral Gables. Uh, when it got to 10-6, when Yo-Yo Morales hit the three-run homer, uh, to to make it a 10-6 ball game. And Longhorn sent some arms down to the bullpen. Lucas Gordon went down there. Now, he never right, never yeah. started to warm up, but he went down to the bullpen. And uh, and David Pierce was asked about that in the postgame press conference last night, and he said everybody would be available other than, obviously, LBJ. And, and, and I don't think he precluded Staley as well, although he probably – doubt it to, to see because uh, Travis threw, I think, 60-something pitches. I mean, it would 71. have to be – 
71. It'd have to be like one one hitter maybe or something like that if they if they needed to try to do that. I don't think they're counting on that situation. But other than that, uh, only uh, LeBaron Johnson would be unavailable. I think only only LBJ. Everybody else. I think they would they would have uh, ready as as Keith Moreland says you have your spikes on not the knobbies uh, when you get to that last game like that just about everybody has that. would that be so. uh would a Steli appearance be one of those deals where like Chris Gordon is running around the dugout like the guy from NASA in, in those like end of the world movies where he's just got this big stack of papers and feels like he's just dug <laughs> through all the numbers and like yes Steli it's got to be Steli this is the matchup this has Steli has to be the matchup for this batter. Like one of, yeah. those, one of those kind of deals. <laughs> are are you making uh, are you making uh, Gordo sound real nerdy and stuff like? He'd probably actually like that if you if you mention that. Too. I don't know. He'd I just I just like okay to pre- I like to pretend every every coaching staff has that one guy who just nerds out on stuff and and like I said runs yeah. around like the like the one dude in NASA that everybody just kind of leaves him in his cubicle and you, you only see him a couple of times in the movies and at the very end he's just got the big like. It's like Jimbo Fisher's play card. It's just like a big stack of papers. He's just rummaging through and <laughs> like he's losing his mind. Got to got to yeah. get this information out before the world ends. Yeah, yeah, I I, I could see that possibly being the case. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> oh, Cam, Cam, what's on what's on the TV, Cam? That's got your that's drawing your ire right now. Oh, it's just back to more Aaron Rodgers Jets talk. So. Okay, Craig, I did want to ask you though. I think it was the second inning yesterday when Roger was talking about the the backstop area behind home plate and and how large it was. You said you could play a game of pepper behind there. Um, That's please, right. What is a game of pepper? And you call yourself a baseball guy? Mm. All right. Well, you're not an old school baseball guy. So that's that that's understandable because you're a very young guy. So you're not familiar with the game of pepper. No. Okay, Jeff, you want to tell him what the game of pepper is all about? Uh, isn't pepper where like you know you just throwing stuff as hard as you can and just it's kind of wheels off. It kind of wheels off deal. I've never actually played pepper. The only my only reference to pepper, and I don't even think I can't remember the last time I saw one, but you used to see signs in ballparks. Just the big, no pepper like, games. Yeah, no pepper. Like in Major League, the the sign that Rick Vaughn obliterates in spring training, it's a it's a no yeah. pe- no pepper sign. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a drill basically, is what it is, and um, it's 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 there's whoever is running the drill, whether it's a, a teammate or a coach, and he stands about oh I'd say fifteen feet away from the player it's and there's and there's like a group of players and they're spread out there's like five or uh, somewhere between five and uh, and say six or seven players and they're in a line and they face the coach and so they have the gloves on the players spread out about 10 to 15 feet of 15 feet apart now you think about that that's 100 feet but they're the and one player is is uh, then uh, gets the ball to be kind of the shagger, the shagging ball guy. But the coach stands about 15 feet away, and he starts hitting these little grounders and line drives to the player. But, again, they're, they're not that far away, and they just do it in random order, and the players don't know where the ball is going to be hit. So then they, they field it, and then they toss it back, and players are eliminated from Pepper for missing balls or, or misthrowing. So there's communication. So the, the, it's all about read and react. So it's it's like a skills drill when you're playing pepper. Guys are standing like 
in a circle and you're just popping popping the ball on the ground okay. or little line drives to him. So that's we, what it we is. Have, uh, we've gravely disappointed Mike Harge for our lack of knowledge on how to properly play. Well, he's not going to be disappointed in me because I just explained it. <laughs> so, and, and hard you tell him if I'm wrong on that. But uh, that's what it is. Uh, where you where you're standing, you're having a group of players standing a few feet apart, and you're just and and you're hitting uh, you're hitting balls to them. But it's done on the side. And the reason why they say no pepper games is somebody could get hurt that's walking around if you've got a pepper game going on. So that's what it. But it's a it's a drill. It's it's basically just a uh, just a read and react drill, really, to to ground balls and things like that. Harge, if I'm wrong, you correct me on that. But I but I'm pretty sure that that's that that's how it works. Uh, so it's it, that's what it that's what it, it it's it's a pretty basic drill is what it is. I just need to it's, see no pepper signs pepper. make a return to the to the yard. I'd like to see that. They just pepper kind of has gone. The way of a lot of there's other there's other drills now modern drills that guys are that are using these days. That's why that's but why that's, a youngster like Cam, even as old he's of a not soul as, know that. as old of a soul as he is, he has no frame of reference. That's now, right. I'm getting rightfully that's roasted right. by a lot of people on the specs text line and my personal self. So I apologize for not knowing what Pepper was, uh, but now I do. <laughs> You're getting dispatches you on your phone, yeah. Cam. Wow, that's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Did anybody tell you that I explained it wrong, uh, Cam? When I was when I was explaining what Pepper is all about, it was mostly just SMH Cam and how do you not know what Pepper is? Those are the messages. So, <laughs> I, I I knew the the general idea of Pepper, not the actual mechanics. So, okay, listen, uh, give give Cam some grace on this. Cut him cut him a little bit of slack on this deal. Dude's twenty five years old, and Pepper is kind of a lost art, really, and and probably because. There are other drills that they're doing now, and like I said, uh, if you're not if, if if you're not if your head's not in the game, you're not paying attention. You could get hurt uh, by Pepper. That's what they used to always tell us when I played ball. Uh, you know, back in uh, you know when when I was in uh, Pony League, Colt League, all the way starting in Little League, all the way in the in the high school uh, there in the uh, mid to late seventies. It was always uh, you know. Pay attention if if you're doing pepper, and it's fun. It's fun. It's just quick. It's just quick. You know the old think fast type of thing. You know, but just be ready for it because it's it. Back and, when uh, uh, back when you had your Dodger hat on, pretending to be Willie Davis. Yeah, or since since there was a lot of ground ball things like that, I might be pretending to be Bill Russell. There you, you go. Know, or 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 Davy Lopes or Billy Grabarkowitz. Uh, yeah. Billy Grabarkowitz, uh, by the way, the uh, uncle of uh, former Westwood Warrior quarterback Tyler Grabarkowitz. I was going to say I've only heard that name ago. one other place. So, shout out yeah. to uh, shout out to everybody at Westwood. Um, no, I was thinking, Craig, the football equivalent as we get ready to get, get the break, the football equivalent of Pepper is yeah. probably going to be getting on the seven man sled. Nobody does it anymore, so you're going to at some point have a group of kids that don't understand. Not only what the seven man sled is, but what its purpose is. It's just so Pepper and the seven man sled are kind of just put over here to the side of things from a bygone era. I guess. I guess now that we're worried about player safety, the Oklahoma drill is kind of going into going into that realm. Also, it's being mothballed. Yeah, uh, uh, several of those things off of that. But there it is. There's a there's your uh, your your baseball pointer for today is the old Pepper drill. I think the Oklahoma um, drill is kind of the politically correct way of calling it. Like we used to call it a. Everybody, know, everybody gets to be PC. We used to call it Shotgun Alley. Is what we used to call yeah. it back in the day. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, coming up, we'll have our Longhorn Notebook. We're going to hear uh, from David Pierce. Next hour, uh, some uh, conversation you'll hear from uh, some sound from uh, Dylan Campbell and Mitchell Daly. So you'll hear that coming up next hour as the Longhorns uh, will uh, get ready for the game that will determine whether or not they make it to Omaha for a 39th time. So, got some football uh, in the got, notebook too, Craig. Absolutely. I'm going to get to that. Uh, we do have Inconceivable and – Boy, do I have a story for Jeff Howe. So, Jeff, you love, dearly love. What would you say that you love most? What type of story do you enjoy the most Inconceivable? Uh, animals doing human-like things? Ding, 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 ding. We've got it. We've got it, and, it, and it's kind of almost a bonus for you. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll have that coming up when we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. All right, this is Light the Tower on the Horn. Is this salt and pepper? Is it is. While you're playing yeah, it? it yeah. is. Yeah. It's all the questions about pepper. A lot of folks on the Specs text line apparently were weighing in about that. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I like Cam's sense of humor on that. we to take that. So, yeah. The pepper drill. Right? Kind of a lost art in baseball as well. All right. Uh, we've got a lot of things to get to uh, starting right now with the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. All right, so uh, we'll start with baseball, and Jeff will have some football notes as well. Of course, the Longhorns uh, dropping the contest last night in uh, game two of the NCAA Super Regional. Uh, an amazing effort by Quinn Matthews, 156 pitches in the complete game, performance 16 strikeouts as well, and uh, and – you know, LBJ did not pitch poorly for Texas, but Stanford did enough to get him to get to him to get to build up a lead and maintain that. And even as Texas had tied the score, Stanford pulled back ahead, and then of course had the big three-run top of the night to really get the true separation on that. After the game, Roger Wallace down on the field and visiting with head coach David Pierce. Well, you knew Quinn Matthews was really good. What did you see from him tonight that uh, gave you guys trouble? Uh, the changeup. I mean, he did an excellent job. I'm, that kid can really pitch, and he's tough, and he's aggressive. Uh, but he just was really good with the changeup. And, you know, it probably took us three rounds before we really started getting him elevated a little bit more. But, you know, early on we was chasing it down and away. And, you know, he's tough. So we just got to bounce back. We've got a big game tomorrow. Yeah, LBJ, just like last week, he, he found his comfort after a couple of innings. Just didn't look like he could quite get that get comfort going tonight. Yeah, we couldn't get the leadoff man off uh, uh, out. So that was a, kind of the issue all uh, all day is just trying to get the leadoff hitter out and uh, allowed some of their power guys to hit with guys in scoring position. But, you know, that's what happened. And, you know, it was one of those nights for us. It was a great night for them. And we just got to bounce back tomorrow. I was going to say, if you tell you in February you got a, a win to go to the College World Series, what's the message to you guys? I'd take it all day. I mean, we did it last year. It doesn't mean that it's the same team. This is a team that's created their own identity. They're excited. Um, it's not the way we wanted it to go tonight, but we're very resilient, and I think it's going to be one hell of a game tomorrow. 
Yeah, which has now arrived. Uh, tomorrow has become today afterwards. And, and I think it's a good point. If, if it, it, Jeff, what, what you pointed out, uh, how this team has not been as star-studded as some in the past, but if you uh, think back to the Oklahoma series uh, and uh, when, when, uh, when the Sooners swept the Longhorns in late April uh, at UFC Udish Falk Field, uh, the, the last of those games was on Saturday, April 22nd uh, at that point. Uh, if, if someone had offered Texas the opportunity and said, okay, here you are just coming off the sweep series loss to OU, uh, but you can have one game to go to Omaha. Now you have to go out to Stanford and do it one game. Would you take that? I think everybody would say, sign me up. They would, they would do that. They'd be, 100%. That'd be all about that. Yeah. If, you'd, so, if you'd have given me that scenario before the start of the season, not knowing anything about how this, things would play out, I'd have yeah. said, heck, yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah, for a team that was picked to finish fourth in the Big 12. And so, uh, But uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes in terms of the starting pitch. And one thing, uh, our, our good friend and colleague and one of our broadcast uh, you know, one of our uh, broadcasters on our Longhorn baseball broadcast this season, of course, has been Ty Harrington, the former longtime coach at Texas State. And uh, Ty and I have been texting throughout the course of the weekend, and he was what he was uh, impressed with. Uh, he is the fact that Matthews was able to throw that slider uh, to both sides of the plate to both left-handed hitters and right-handed hitters. And and then the changeup, and that was one thing I said that Kyle Peterson and I were talking about as well, is the changeup, and that was the thing we heard Coach um, Pierce talk about as well. But his first pitch execution, said Ty, with all of his pitches, was good. He really didn't have a big miss. You know, a lot of non-competitive pitches that were easy takes, and that's why he had more swing and miss. So, um, and and with Tanner Witt, yeah, as, as Ty says, he's got to get off to a good start. He said if Texas gets behind early, he wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Zane Morehouse go in. Certainly that, that's a, a real possibility, especially if Texas falls behind, to try to keep them in the baseball game if, if Witt runs into trouble early. So the, the possibilities are numerous for what the Longhorns could or and or might need to do tonight in this final game against Stanford. So – uh, that's that's your, your baseball update for, for this portion. How about some football notes, Jeffrey? I never, Craig, need an excuse to talk offensive line about the offensive line, <laughs> and specifically the Texas offensive line. But yeah. my wheels got going over the weekend, and I teased this on Friday. I mentioned that, uh, and this is an article, you can get it in the news feed at Horns 24-7, but uh, our 24-7 Sports National Desk kind of elaborate on this. Pro Football Focus ranked, rated the top 10 returning offensive lines in college football for the 2023 season. They've got the Texas offensive line as the third best returning offensive line in college football. The only two offensive lines they rate higher, Michigan at number one. Michigan, that group has won the Joe Moore Award, which is like the collective offensive offensive line Heisman, for lack of a better term. Uh They've won that Joe Moore Award back-to-back years. Goes to the top offensive line in the country. And then at two, shocker, Georgia, just considering the way they've recruited, uh, they've got probably, and when you just look at pure talent, Georgia's as good as anybody. And then you've got Texas at three. And I'll get to this in, in a minute, but we, we know all, all five starters are back. But you start looking at the numbers, Craig. Kelvin Banks, 858 
snaps last season. You realize he only allowed 12 pressures last year? That's amazing. Force allowed four sacks and 12 pressures on 858 snaps. Uh, Christian Jones, uh, he was the team's best run blocker. Think about that. Christian Jones goes from a year where you can make the argument, was he a liability at times as left tackle, moves back over to the right side. He's your best run blocker on the season. He only allows 12 pressures and three sacks on, on 877 snaps. Now you had Hayden Connor and Cole Hudson. They were kind of the lowest graded offensive linemen according to PFF. But those are two guys that were stepping. Cole Hudson is a true freshman. Connor is a true sophomore. Guys stepping into starting roles for the first time. But we know that you're going to have a couple of guys push them. DJ Campbell, Cam Williams works some guard. Nato Meazulu, Craig, I think quietly had a really good spring. I know most of the talk was about Campbell and the return of Banks. But uh, anytime you talk to people, Nato Meazulu's name is one that came up quite often. And then, you know, Jake Majors, it seems like the center at Texas, Craig, is always the target to be the whipping boy along the offensive line. I mean, I, I think back, you know, Shoot, I'd probably go back to like Jason Glenn. Uh, you know, pretty much every center. Chris Hall. That Chris Hall got some of this flag. Dom Espinoza. Pretty much every Texas center, with the exception of Lyle Sinline, has like. I, there's a portion of the fan base that's just wanted to replace them after start one. Uh, that's I guess that's just the life of being the center of Texas. But Jake Majors last yeah. year, uh, 81.9 pass blocking grade, only 10 pressures allowed last season. So in terms of pass blocking, this offensive line last year was really, really good. And the fact that I don't think this group gets enough credit for this because is it you know luck, is it toughness, is it uh, just the, I don't know, some kind of, testicular fortitude, maybe some kind of combination of everything. But this group, had Texas had a group last year that started every single game. They went wire to wire with the same starting offensive line combination. And I, I researched it, Craig, went down the rabbit hole, and that's one of only five times that I can find in the last 31 seasons of Texas football that Texas went wire to wire with the same starting five along the offensive line. That's a rarity. Uh, and it only goes back to 1992 because that's when the school starts tracking. You can find records for game-by-game starters. 1992, you had the same starting starting five the entire season. Uh, Troy Reamer, Alan Luther, Turk McDonald, Jeff Boyd, and Blake Brockermeyer. Some names from the past that I'm sure Texas fans haven't thought of in a while. 1996, uh, Texas won a Big 12 championship with an offensive line featuring Octavius Bishop, Ben Adams, Ryan Feebigger, Dan Neal and Jay Humphrey, the uh, the '98 offensive line, which Craig you watched just I I don't know if you missed any games covering basketball, but I'm pretty sure you watched every game that year. I don't think great, I did. Ricky Ricky had a great year, one of the greatest years we've ever seen from a college football player. That offensive line doesn't get enough credit for how good they were. Octavius Bishop, Roger Raisler, Russell Gaskamp, Ben Adams, and Jay Humphrey. It's a really really good offensive line. Uh, no doubt they the were ne- both excellent. The next, all of them excellent. The, the next line that did it. Uh, 2005, shocker, Jonathan Scott, Casey Starr, Lyle Sunline, Will Allen, Justin Blaylock. Four of those five played in the National Football League. It would have been five of five, but Will Allen decided to move on from football when he was in minicamp with the Saints. And then last season with Kelvin Banks, Hayden Connor, Jake Majors, Cole Hudson, and Christian Jones. So if anything, the, the good thing with Texas, if anything changes for that group this year, Craig, it's going to be because they're just more talented, younger guys that might take a job. But I do think I'll give Kyle Flood credit for this. As much as we saw him cross-train guys in the spring, and the spring is when you could do that. That's the time to experiment. 
you know, getting Hayden Connor some work at center, uh, you know, getting DJ Campbell some run before he had to get shut down and have uh, the wrist surgery. Letting Cam Williams work guard and tackle. Uh, Nato Mayazulu has, has worked some guard and tackle. Your top eight right now, you know, if, and, and you can read this, this was in the Insider at Horns 24 7 last week. The time, kind of that bit, Craig, you know, I know coaches hate this. Like, if you played a game today, what would it look like? Uh, if Texas played a game today, which they're not in the middle of June, uh, your top eight offensive linemen right now would be the starting five from last year with Cam Williams, DJ Campbell, and Nato Mayazulu. I've got to think long and hard about the last time Texas had a top eight that was that talented. Probably the 05, 06 group might be it, but that's a really good group of eight, and you've got some flexibility there. And you've got Connor Robertson coming back off of his surgery, uh, probably going to be the backup center to Jake Majors unless we'll see what happens with this Hayden Connor at center experiment. But, man, the Texas offensive line, it is amazing what – Sark and Kyle Flood through great recruiting, a little bit of player development, uh, you know, you know, being able to salvage, repurpose some of those pieces that they inherited from Tom Herman. They've taken the offensive line from a group that was suspect at best when they got here to people like Pro Football Focus using numbers and metrics to say, hey, this is one of the top five offensive lines in the country for this coming season. I'm not ready to put this group that high, Craig, but I think this just shows you how far this group has come, and if they hit their ceiling, where it could be headed. And coming into a year where you've got that transition in the backfield, you're losing Bijan, losing Roshan, and you're going to work in some new backs. Plus, it's a good thing this group is really getting pass protection because I think you're going to have – I think the offense is going to center around Jatavian Sanders. We've talked about the depth and talent of wide receiver. Uh, you're you know getting the ball out of Quentin Ewer's hand quicker. Uh, this this offense, if, if you're of the mind that – this offense is going to go as far as this offensive line can take them. This offense has a chance to be one of the best in the country, and it's because of this ceiling for the offensive line, which we're actually talking about ceiling for an offensive line, Craig, and not saying it has a it has a hard cap on it. This this thing could this thing could really grow, and this could be one of the better offensive lines in the country by the end of the year. I, I totally agree with you. Was uh, Charlotte in agreement with you there? I thought I heard her object. Yeah, she's uh, she's there. playing a game and got some kind of high score over there. I don't know what she's doing, so <laughs> my apologies for that. If my daughter's no, cheering in the background. Her. I thought she said so. – I thought she was saying no, no, or something when you were first talking about the offensive line. I was like, wow, look at – Look at Charlotte. They're upgrading her knowledge there on the Texas offensive front. Okay. I've, I've tried to right. I've tried to teach her uh, personnel groupings. It's uh, it's a yeah. work it's a work in progress. You know, I know she's Good. learning to read, but I want her to to get to kindergarten knowing the difference between you know eleven personnel and twelve personnel. So I started to say you can you can learn eleven personnel and twelve personnel without necessarily having to learn to read. Well, know? that is that is true. Yes. That is true. <laughs> you can take the first step first, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, up next, we've got Inconceivable. And, and like I said, it's a story that I am absolutely hey, certain. Hey, real quick, Craig. Jeff is going to enjoy. Yes. Real, real quick, uh, Cam, you got any thoughts? I just want to, you know, you got, I know you are you're you love Texas football. You got any thoughts on, on this offensive line? Well, back outlet? to that, that PFF ranking, because of how they, you know, they had their grades right. And so I'm guessing to the side – their top offensive line, it was just they would take the average rating of the five. So that's highly inflated, right, because of Kelvin Banks' grade? Um, I'd have to look at the individual grades. But, yeah, I mean, Banks and, and Jones and, and Jake Majors, that pass blocking grade. Actually, uh, DJ Campbell was actually the highest graded pass blocker in that group. 
129 snaps and zero pressures allowed. Okay. So it's but I think that that just kind of shows my overarching point is look if you do see some change this year, I, I don't think it's going to be because the guys that were there last year taper off. I think it's because it's these young guys making that surge and just showing the staff, hey, these are the best guys. You need to play DJ Campbell more. Nato Amezulu is demanding playing time. Cam Williams with his play and practice is demanding more snaps. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, that's our Longhorn Notebook for this hour. Uh, next hour, uh, some more baseball conversation. We'll uh, we'll hear from Dylan Campbell. We'll hear from uh, Mitchell Daly. And I think you've got some other – do you have some other notes uh, for hour number two there, uh, Jeff? Yes. Or a second hour longer? Uh, I'll, I'll get to the other tease I had at the end of the week. Uh, one of my favorite articles uh, that gets published in our uh, lovely, wonderful Football is Near preseason publications, the anonymous coaches survey in the Big 12 published by Athlon Sports. What does one anonymous Big 12 coach think about Texas? And it's going to be a little bit different than what we've seen in recent years. Okay, we'll look forward to that. Uh, meantime, as we mentioned, coming up next – Inconceivable with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Well, we've got a variety of things. Hey, Craig, First, before, we, yeah. uh, before we get to this animal story, or yeah. Cam, I need a breaking news sounder. This news is about an hour old, and thank you, CB, for directing me to this on the uh, on the Twitter machine. Craig, I love my NFL throwback uniforms, mm-hmm. and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have made it official. On October fifteenth, yeah. against the Detroit Lions, the creamsicle jerseys and the Bucko Bruce logo are coming back. Well, that was a smart move for them from a market yeah! perspective. Yeah. I think a lot of folks are – you may be the second happiest person in the building. The happiest one will be Chad Hastings. I haven't seen Chad. I can't confirm if he has pants on right now or not. I'm telling you. He's got to be very, very excited about that. You know, you know what's yeah. next, Craig? Your, yeah. Ram, your Rams need to bring back the Eric Dickerson jerseys. Then it would be me without the pants if that were there. Well, no, actually, that, not the Eric Dickerson ones. I mean, they're, 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 they're in the neighborhood with what they have as long as they don't wear that, that – bone off-white thing, which is awful. Yeah. They only, fortunately, they only wore those twice last year. It's mainly the white with that, uh, what they won the Super Bowl in. So, you know, that's okay uh, with regard to that. But, uh, I, no, I'd like to see the blue and whites from the late 60s, the early old, 70s. The old school Deacon Jones, Merlin Olsen. The Deacon Jones, yeah. Merlin Olsen, Roman Gabriel, absolute Jack Snow. That's what I would love to see off of that. If they had those, those would be cool. Since we're on the subject of jerseys, and a little sports memorabilia item for you here, Jeff. Well, what do we have? Uh, we got a Wayne Gretzky, New York Rangers jersey. Remember, he ended his career with the Rangers. That falls in the category of Emmett Smith with the Cardinals, or Franco Harris with the with the Seahawks, Tony Dorsett with the Broncos, where where guys finish their careers with other teams, yeah, like that. Remember, Wayne Gretzky ended his career with the New York Rangers, but a jersey from his final game just sold. At auction by Gray Flannel Auctions. Could have taken a guess at what that jersey sold for. for the Wayne great Gretzky one. final game jersey. I'm going to guess, uh, I'll say 750 grand. A little over, but not that far over. How about $595,933? Basically 600 grand. Jeez. A, 
a total of 21 bids made before the close. The bidding started at $50,000. So uh, he recorded an assist in his final career game, 2,857 career points. To this day, no other NHL player scored 2,000 career points. So there it is, a Wayne Gretzky Rangers jersey uh, from that uh, final game that sells at auction for 596000 See, Cam just told me in my ear um, he was thinking about bidding on that Wayne Gretzky jersey, but he he decided to uh, take his yacht out on Lake Austin. I don't know how you'd fit a yacht on Lake Smart Austin, move. but Cam decided he was going to do that with his money instead. So, yep. did you, speaking yep. of inconceivable, did you see um, the Charles Barkley Jack Eichel interaction yesterday, Craig? I did not. So I did not. Chuck went up a to Eichel. busy yesterday. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, he asked Eichel. We went up to him and said, "Hey, I'm a big fan of you." Eichel says, "Who the hell are you?" Just you know, one of the best, best players in NBA history. Wow. <sighs> nice. Okay. Yeah. There's is that, that. Kind of, is that kind of in the same realm as when the, the, the F1 pit reporter mistook <laughs> Paulo Bencaro no, for Patrick Mahomes? So. Okay. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Uh, also unfortunate, the, the story, it's gotten a lot of coverage. This unfortunate thing where Conor McGregor sent the Miami Heat mascot to the hospital punched him during that <laughs> mid-game skit in game four. It was meant to promote a pain relief spray, and it's Bernie is the guy, B-U-R-N-I-E, and he flattened him, sent home from the hospital after receiving pain medication and doing well, according to the athletic report. Connor McGregor wasn't messing around. He went after him. It was kind of like there in Rocky Three, where uh, Hulk Hogan, what, what was he called? Thunder Lips? Thunder Lips. Lips. The deal? Yeah. Where he was, he was taking it a little bit too serious, going crazy, and 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 Rocky goes, "What was all, all about?" You know, and he goes, "That is showbiz or something like that." <laughs> so, tell him about the show of the whole deal. Do, do you, know, uh, you know why I laugh, Craig? Not, I don't laugh at uh, somebody being hurt or hurt by Conor McGregor, punched by Conor McGregor. That's gonna hurt like hell. You know yeah. what I immediately thought of when I saw that story come down? What was that? You remember that time that uh, in Milwaukee when Randall Simon faced legal charges because he beat the Italian sausage with a bat during, during the <laughs> during the sausage race? I do remember that. I do remember that. And I just yeah, uh, that was that was unfortunate. I too. threw it in the in the Google machine, and uh, Randall Simon was questioned by police and later fined four hundred and thirty-two dollars and ten cents uh, for disorderly conduct. MLB suspended him for three games and fined him two thousand dollars. Because he jokingly took out the Italian sausage with a bat during the oh. sausage race. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was not good. Uh, um, By the way, Craig, okay. can you name the other three uh, meats involved in the uh, Milwaukee sausage race? Well, there's got to be a brat. There's a brat, yep, and the Italian All sausage. Right, to go with the Italian, there's a Polish sausage. Yep. Oh, this One's is be the hook. baseball staple that I can't believe you're uh, going to leave out. Okay, the brat, the polo sausage. Oh, just the regular hot dog? Correct, the regular hot dog. Also, uh, chorizo makes an appearance every now and then, apparently. Okay, all right, okay. There you go. So there you go. Um, Fortunately, nobody was hurt in this, but I don't know if you saw this. They had an entire section of I-95 in Philadelphia collapse yesterday morning, and it was a tanker truck carrying flammable cargo caught fire beneath the overpass. So a whole chunk of the interstate just collapsed. So the governor, Josh Shapiro, said, with regards to the complete rebuild of I-95 roadway, we expect it to take a number of months and said uh, 
he will issue a disaster declaration to expedite the process, immediately draw down federal funds. Uh, yeah, it, it looks kind of scary when you see it there. The northbound side of the affected segment completely collapsed. Southbound lanes are not structurally sound to carry any traffic. So if you're going to Philly, Bill Shoning, don't drive I-95 going into town. And I chuckle not because of the, you know, this accident. That's terrible. Um, I chuckle because I saw the, the man on the street interview where a guy was interviewed about the the I-95 situation. He said, yeah. he's like, you know, lost the world. He's like, Philly's, it's it's tough to live in Philly. Lost the World Series. Lost the Super Bowl. Now we lost I-95. We're just taking all kinds <laughs> of L's. <laughs> That's true. All right, Jeff, here's your story. Yes, I'm ready. All right. You say your favorite type of story is animals doing people things, right? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, my yeah, it's it's awesome. What animal doing people things excites you the most? Okay, it's either going to be the bear or the smallish rodent like the beaver, the the groundhog, the something of right. that ilk, the prairie dog, yeah. Yeah, I know you would like that, but come on. The one that gets you most cranked up is the bear. Is the bear, right? yes. Yeah. How about this? You've been to the Redneck Riviera before. You've been to Destin, Florida, yeah. right? Two years ago, yeah. There was two, yeah, two okay. years ago. How would you like to be, what would you have paid to be on the beach with people, crowded beach in Destin, and people all of a sudden look and they see a bear in the ocean swimming toward the shore? In the ocean? A black bear. In the ocean. That is Look wild. up the video. You'll see the bear, a young black bear navigating the surf and then he hit the beach and uh the, the large crowd of people looking at it going look it's a bear out in the ocean a bear in the ocean how did he get there that's what they don't know which raises the question does a bear bleep in the ocean you know since he does in the woods right <laughs> you know um maybe he didn't he, hurt uh, anyone maybe he on the beach and then covered it up yeah maybe he did not hurt anyone or he, and he did not appear to be injured, but as it said, his fate is unknown because the video that was posted on Facebook showed it running off into the sand dunes and the buildings lining the beach. It is not known why the bear was in the Gulf of Mexico or how long it had been swimming at sea. Now, bears generally are good swimmers, especially polar bears, because they can swim many miles out the sea to hunt seals. But the frozen Arctic, a long way from... Uh, you know, tourist-packed beaches in Florida. But I, I thought about you not only because it's a bear doing a human thing, but but just in, in Destin, because I know you've been down there. There's a bear in I the did, ocean I just swimming the, the shore. I picture the bear on the surfboard, you know, catching some waves, feeling good, yeah. good, good vibes. And then he, he just he, he lands on the beach, and he was maybe he was hungry. He's going to look for go make himself a sandwich or something. See if he can find an Italian ice, you know. Or maybe an Italian room. sausage. I enjoy the Maybe. people in the video saying, is that a dog? No. <laughs> no, son, that's a that's a bear. That's a black bear going there, coming out of the ocean, coming out of the Gulf of Mexico. I'd offered him I'd offered him a boogie board and say, here, buddy, go <laughs> go get back after it. You've earned yeah. it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Makes me think of the logo of the minor league baseball team, the Asheville Tourist. Look it up. It's a bear wearing sunglasses and a Hawaiian print shirt. To the bear sprawled out on the boogie board or the, or the yeah. surfboard, like swimming, paddling out the sea. Bear in the Gulf. <laughs> oh, Love that. It's great. Second hour. I knew you'd like that. Second hour, Life the Tower. Coming up on the Horn, 1049, 1019 AM 1260, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.